The Gospel reading for today comes from Luke chapter 6. Jesus came down with them and stood at a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear Jesus and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then Jesus looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Creator and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When I moved to Minneapolis to go to seminary, it was the first time I had ever lived outside the Pacific Northwest. What I knew of the Midwest came almost entirely from Garrison Keeler and Prairie Home Companion, the tales of Lake Wobegon cassette tapes that my family used to listen to on car trips. I knew to expect cold winters and lots of snow and apparently mosquitoes in the summer. I bought extra ice scrapers for my car and the biggest winter coat I had ever owned in my life. I knew how to make three casseroles and one jello salad, so I figured I would be okay. What I didn't know until I got there was how dependent I was on mountains. What it would feel like for the land and the sky to meet on a flat horizon as far as you could see in every direction. Above all, once I found myself lost in downtown Minneapolis for the 25th time, I realized that the mountains had been my lifelong compass. Was I heading toward the Olympics or the Cascades? Could I see Mount Baker or Mount Rainier? How do people know which direction they are going when they don't have any mountains? I was lost all the time, completely disoriented. The only way I could ever reliably get out of downtown Minneapolis was to find my way to Central Lutheran Church, the church that I worshiped at on Sunday mornings. At the time, its steeple was the tallest thing around. So I would drive until I could see that. 
and then I would know how to get to Central, and then I would know how to get to the freeway entrance. I just want to point out that this was all before smartphones, in case you're wondering why I didn't just pull up the Maps app and <laughs> ask how to get home. But of course, there were plenty of times when I couldn't find that steeple very easily. More than once, when I wiped away tears of frustration trying to find my way back. I'm no good at flat places, it turns out. Today's gospel reading comes from a flat place. It's not the Midwest. <laughs> Jesus has been on a mountain, spending time in prayer and gathering his disciples, but then he comes down and he stands on a level place, a great plain with a huge crowd of people, all of whom are trying to touch him and be healed in one way or another. Although Jesus has only been out and about in public for a relatively short time, he has already done a lot and his reputation is spreading. He's cast out demons. He's healed the mother-in-law of his disciple, Peter. He helped Peter and some other fishermen haul in a huge catch. He's cleansed a leper. He made a paralyzed man walk. And now this crowd is full of people hoping that Jesus will do something like that for them. It's a little hard to remember now, but think back to the last time you were in a big crowd, maybe waiting to get into a stadium or a concert venue or at a park or on the beach. Back in the days before social distancing and standing six feet apart, when in a big crowd, you would be shoulder to shoulder with strangers, breathing on each other, smelling each other's sweat and perfume and laundry detergent. It can quickly get disorienting, especially if you're all standing on a level spot. It can be easy to lose track of where you are and where you want to go. It would have been easier for Jesus to go back up the mountain at least a little if he wanted to speak to the crowd. Easier for him to see them and vice versa. It's always easier to talk at people if you stand a little bit above them and at a distance, which is why I usually stand at that pulpit over there. It's how we usually do things. Anyone giving a public speech knows that. But Jesus stays right where he is, right in the middle of the sweaty, needy, pulsating crowd. Right there among them, he begins to speak. And he says, blessed are you who are poor. Yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you whose names are reviled, for God's prophets have always been treated like that. Chances are, that was not what the crowd was hoping for. They've been in the flat place for a while, many of them. Certainly in that crowd are people who are hungry, some living in poverty, people who are weeping with grief and loss, those who are hurting in body and mind and spirit. They've come to Jesus to see if he can get them 
out of all of that if he could maybe take them back up the mountain with him. As if that wasn't enough, Jesus keeps going. And he says, woe to the rich, for you've received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing, and woe to you when everybody likes you. Because only false prophets are interested in being liked rather than in being honest. Now the crowd is really lost. I mean, aren't those the good things? The things that Jesus just warned us about? They, like we, they, they want to be full, not hungry. They want to laugh, not cry. They want to be loved, not hated. It's as if Jesus took every ambition, every goal, every landmark by which we measure success and happiness and the good life, and he just flattened all of it. No more mountains left. Now nobody knows where they are. As Christians, we've been reading these words for 2,000 years, and they have not lost one bit of their edge. We still don't quite know what to do with them, which is probably exactly what Jesus wanted. They still flatten all the landmarks that we are used to and reverse everything we have been taught to expect. In these words, Jesus blesses all the things we want to avoid and warns us about all the things that we've been taught to want. It's very possible that you'll end up wiping tears of frustration off your face trying to figure out what it is that Jesus means. One way that we have tried to interpret these words is to turn them into advice. If there are two roads here, a road of blessing and a road of woe, then we frequently turn and twist ourselves trying to get onto the blessing road. Or maybe we treat them more like a personality quiz, trying to locate ourselves in one list or the other. There's a couple of problems there, of course. One is that most of us will move around between these lists. And frequently we find ourselves in more than one of them at the same time. You can, after all, be rich and grieving. You can be laughing while you're hungry. You can't be rich and poor at the same time. Although many of us who really are rich in the global scheme of things have a hard time feeling that way. And isn't it a good thing when people speak well of you? Should we go out and try to ruin our reputations on purpose? The other problem is that when Jesus gave advice, he was really clear about it. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Offer the other cheek. Give to those in need. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, none of those things are easy to do, but it's clear that they are imperatives. They're commands. Go, bless, pray, offer, give, love. One writer puts it this way. She says, the Beatitudes are not like that. In them, Jesus does not tell anyone to do anything. 
Instead, he describes all kinds of people, hoping that his listeners will recognize themselves as one kind or another. And then he makes the same promise to all of them, that the way things are is not the way they will always be. That the Ferris wheel will go around so that those who are swaying at the top with the wind in their hair and all the world's lights at their feet will have their turn at the bottom. While those who are down there right now, where all they can see are candy wrappers in the sawdust, will one day have their chance to touch the stars. It's not advice at all. It's not even judgment. It's, it's simply truth about the way things work, pronounced by someone who loves everyone on that wheel. I suppose the blessing of the flat places is that you learn to pay extra attention to what is right in front of you. When there aren't any mountains to draw your eye, you have to look at what is right next to you instead. Blessing is a loaded word. It's one we often use to imply God's approval of our good fortune. But I wonder if what Jesus really wanted was for us to get just lost enough that we would stop throwing ourselves at the mountaintops and learn to expect the presence of God right where we are in the most ordinary flat places. All those things we try to hide, all the conditions we believe bring us shame, all the hurting and broken and painful places in this life, God is there. And all the times that we make it to the top of the mountain, we get the raise or the promotion, we ace the test or get the prize. Well then, let's pay extra attention to how easy it is to want to stay on the mountaintop forever. How quickly we look down on the flat places and everyone in them with a little bit of scorn. Thank goodness that's not me lost down there, we say. Above all, remember that these words come from the one who was God's blessing made flesh, a living, breathing beatitude, who walked and laughed and cried among us, who ate with sinners and hugged the children and healed the women and called the fishermen. So that no matter where you find yourself, on the mountain or on the plain or somewhere in between, Jesus comes with blessings in hand so that when we find ourselves lost yet again, wiping away our tears of frustration, we can look to the cross, which will always show us the way. Blessed are you. Amen.